Emotionally unavailable people are like a puzzle you'll never solve no matter how hard you try. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. Shit show nation, what up? For any new listeners, my name is Andrea. I am a total shit show. I am a recovering alcoholic. And my taste in men used to be emotionally unavailable alcoholics. And that's how we got here to this podcast. So if you want to hear all about that, go listen to my very first episode. It's called The Tale of Two Brians. I dated two alcoholics named Brian back to back. It's a gem. It's required listening. I promise you it will not disappoint. So if I sound a little bit older, that is because my birthday was on Saturday. So I turned 35 and I think I'm okay with that this year. My therapist told me that she does not want me to set all these lofty goals for myself because I typically, you know, start the year off with this is what I want to happen. This is what I want it to look like at the end of this year. But instead, she just wants me to focus on just a theme or a word. So I spent some time thinking about it and I decided that my theme, my focus for this year is my inner child, dedicating myself to connecting with my inner child, to get her to trust that I can take care of her, that the actions or inactions of other people has absolutely nothing to do with her inherent worth, that if people who are in the disease of alcoholism or family dysfunction or whatever don't get better, it has nothing to do with her not being lovable or good enough. And this is something I've known consciously, but what this past year has shown me and the pain I've endured is all stemming from that. If I was good enough, if I was lovable enough, if I was worthy enough, people would change. People would do whatever it takes to make sure they keep me in their life. And if they don't, that somehow is a reflection on me. So I am trying to get that message into her loud and clear, and I know it's going to take some time. This inner child shit, like I'll be honest, I thought this shit was super corny, like when I first heard about it. thought it was pretty corny up until, I don't know, a year or two ago. What I've realized is it is so damn crucial for us. This inner child healing is one of the most important, if not the most important aspect of this adult child healing journey. And so I'm making an effort to journal with her every day. So today we are joined by Nora, aka Inner Butterfly. So that's her um, Instagram handle. And that's how I found her. She put some amazing shit on Instagram. She is a self-empowerment coach. She also used to be attracted to emotionally unavailable men. And she's going to share how she overcame that, how she fixed her broken picker. So let's get the damn show on the road. But first, yeah, you know it. How about you damn the join shit show already? This is my online support community that you are really missing out on. This is a place that is safe for you to emotionally unload 
This is a safe place with other people who understand exactly how you feel. This is a support community at your fingertips, in your back pocket with our chat feature that is available at any point during the day, 24-7. And you can join by seeing the link in the show notes. Let's do it already. Next, give me all a follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Bod. I just said bod. At Adult Child Pod, Instagram, TikTok, give me a damn follow. And last but not least, give me a damn five-star rate on Apple and Spotify. This is a requirement for listening to this podcast. Thanks. Love you all. All right, y'all. Welcome. Simply known as Nora slash inner butterfly slash self-empowerment coach. Howdy. Hi. Where did inner butterfly come from? It's an interesting story and it's kind of funny too. So... In 2018, and you're going to see me like referencing years all the time because yeah. it's just that yeah. work. But in 2018, I was introduced to meditation and I started meditating. And I don't know if I was hallucinating or not, but I was driving one <laughs> time. And this like flock of birds, and I, I loved watching like the birds on the highway. So this flock of birds all the way to my window, where I close my eyes because I feel like they're going to hit my car on the highway. And then I open my eyes and I feel like I see a blue butterfly. And I'm pretty sure that part is me hallucinating at that point. But to me, the butterfly represented like a death and a rebirth, mm-hmm. who I've been and who I became. So that's where inner butterfly came from, is just the process of death and rebirth. And what were you doing prior to coaching? Like, what was your old job? Yeah. So you're going to see me telling you stories. So another story. That's all we do. That's all we do. Yeah. So prior to coaching, I was an electrical engineer. And in 20, I mean, I had already started my coaching certification while I was in my nine to five. And then in 2022 was the year that I was like almost beyond burnt out. Like in 2022, it's like the realization like, oh, shit, I'm burnt out. But I'm pretty sure I was feeling it like maybe two years prior to that. So I was like, my I'm done. So 2022, I quit that nine to five because I absolutely hated it. No plan B, no nothing. Business was not even up yet, like nothing. I was just done. And it was such a scary thing for me to do Mm. because I'm that kind of person. Like I plan, I plan A, B, and C, like all the way. So this was just this inner feeling or like that intuitive feeling of like, you gotta go. And I know it's gonna sound dramatic, like, but truly... I remember during that time, I felt like if you keep going, like your organs are going to shut down. And I know it sounds dramatic. I don't know if it's scientifically. No, I don't think it's dramatic at all. And I'm sure a ton of people listening can relate. Yeah, I I truly felt that. And I knew like if I keep going, I'm done. So I got to pull the plug right now, even though it scares the shit out of me. So the next day I put in my two weeks and I took basically all of 2022 just, you know, recharging, resetting trying to figure out who I am outside of all of this because I was pretty much surviving for years. Like I was just not living. And I even remember after quitting my job, every Sunday without fail, my body would tense up. And I would like have to remind myself, Nora, you quit. You're good. You're good. No more Sunday scaries. No more. But the Sunday scaries were so intense. Like my body would tense up. So that kept going for like a good minute, like maybe six months, I want to say, because I was kind of tracking it. So I think it was six months. And after that, I was like, we don't have a nine to five. We're good. We're building that business. 
But then there was also that aspect of financial stress. They have mm-hmm. bills and things to pay. So there was the financial stress of it all while trying to build my business. So I stayed without a job all of 2022, basically. And then I want to say November, December time, I started getting that feeling like, okay, I kind of desire to get a nine to five. So my nervous system is regulated and I'm building my business with ease and with fun. But I had that inner almost battle with it because I'm like, okay, if I get a job, am I quitting on my dreams? Am I quitting on my business? But then also like, can I build my business while I am like so stressed and I'm not in my creative, like my creative juices weren't flowing at that time. So I told myself, okay, if I am to get a job, I had specific requirements and I am so much a believer of like manifestation, co-creation, all of that. So I'm like, these are my requirements. I'm not accepting anything if it's not that. Funny enough, I was talking to my brother about that and he was like, give me your LinkedIn login. I'll just apply to jobs for you. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess when they reach out, I can tell them I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> so I think he showed me that job or either I saw it, that particular job. And I'm like, no, let me apply to that one. And I applied and as I was applying it, it, in my mind, it, like not even my mind, but in my heart, I'm like, I'm going to get this job. And I knew it. So the whole time there was this trust, this ease, this fun. So I guess that was a long way to answer your story. I mean, your question <laughs> is... There's a long answer. A good answer is a long answer. Yeah, I agree with that. So so now I do still have a nine to five and my business. It's still in the engineering field, but night and day difference. Like I just I'm having fun with both of them. Absolutely love both of them. And looking back in hindsight, I truly believe that me in 2022, taking that action that I would have never taken in my life is just so unlike me almost like broke a cycle of something where I quantum leaped into this reality where I love my job and I love my business and I'm happy and I'm living, not surviving, living, which was such a foreign thing for my body to get used to. So yeah, long story short, that was it. (laughs) That's good that you still enjoy it. So I was a CPA before I like worked in accounting and I have zero desire to ever do anything like that ever again. So like many of us, when we hit bottom, like it's usually related to a relationship, as was my experience. So I know that this happened for you in, I guess, 2016, right? Is like when you really had your dark night of the soul. And so Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear all of the nitty gritty details about that, the relationship and um, yeah, just hitting that bottom. So yeah, I got in a relationship. I don't even remember. I think it was 2015. I got in a relationship with someone where it was like the weirdest thing in the world. So basically, (laughs) I met this person and like eye contact, like first moment we met each other. I'm like, this is the person I'm going to be with. And it's like, pause, pause. Prior to that, did you have a pattern of dysfunctional, toxic relationships, romantic relationships prior to dating this person? Prior to dating this person, he was my second like real relationship, if I may say. So the first one had its unhealthy, toxic patterns, but it wasn't as pronounced as this one. Okay. This one was just real. Like eye contact, like, oh my gosh, this is the person for me. This intense like pull towards them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand it. And in my mind, I thought maybe that's the love everybody talks about. (laughs) Because like, I didn't know. And I got into this relationship with this person. They also kind of shared the same thing, like it's from love from first sight. And mind you, I was never like a romantic, like a hopeless romantic. So this was all new to me. Like this was not me. So anyway, I got in a relationship with this person and everything was cool and all. And then maybe six months later, shit started coming up. 
it was shit coming up for me, shit coming up for him. And like, you'd always tell me we push each other's buttons like no other. He was so like, so true. I have never been triggered in my entire life as much as I was in this relationship. It was intense day after day triggered. All my wounding were coming to the surface and I had no idea because at the time I was like, I had no idea. I'm like, what is going on? Why is this relationship so hard? But yet I can't leave. Like, it's almost like if that relationship ended, I felt like it was a death to me. So deep, deep, like attachment to that person and the idea of what I thought this was, right? I'm like, this is real love. You stick it out. And at the time too, I was introduced to the idea of twin flames and Oh my gosh, I do not believe in that anymore. I don't know if anybody does, but me personally, I don't. But at the time, it's like there was this idea that, you know, there's the runner, there's the chaser. And then when you do the work, you come into divine love, right? So I'm like sticking it out. Let's do the work. But eventually from all the on and off breaking up, coming back together, like this roller coaster, I had reached a point in 2018. So like a good three years. I had reached a point in 2018 where I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I just can't. Like, I, I felt like I'm done. And I chose to leave on my terms. So every time this person broke up with me before, I would chase them. But this time, I was like, no, I'm letting this one go. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna let this go. And then if he's meant for me, at the time, it still wasn't fully over it. But I'm like, if he's meant for me, he'll come back when it's the right time. But for now, it's just not. And I know that it's not. Because I was miserable. Like, literally... I, I was living with my parents at the time. And I remember my mom would come and she's like, ever since you met this person, like there's darkness on your face. Like your light is gone. There's no glow. And I could see myself like I was such like a happy-go-lucky kind of person, always laughing and like running around. And with him, it's just like, I'm always sad, always in my room, always thinking, analyzing, trying to figure out if he loves me or not, if this relationship is going to work or not. It's a, it was a nightmare. <laughs> so anyway, we broke up in 2018. And I remember I was introduced to meditation in 2017. And the funny, funny, the way I was introduced to it is like how to bring your ex back. So we had broken up at the time. And so it was a meditation that I was like, yeah, let's bring him back. And I was doing that. <laughs> <med> <laughs> it's so funny. So I was doing that meditation. And then after I was done, I'm like, wait, meditating feels really good. Let me do more of that. So I just went on YouTube and just started doing random meditations. I found myself in meditation like it was a kind of, calmness that I've never felt before just like wow like it's just bliss I, I can't even explain it it was just this feeling of like I'm here and it's safe and it's peaceful and everything is okay so maybe a few months after I had been meditating for a while and I think that's what led me to the breakup in 2018 because that happened months before 2018 is this increased awareness like all of a sudden everything made sense I'm like oh my god my ex reminds me so much of my relationship with my dad. Mm. I'm like, oh, my God, I have this fear of him leaving me. And I'm always anxious. I'm always trying to analyze if he's going to leave me or not, if he loves me or not. And all of that, this is my shit, right? I then started to realize I had a fear of not being loved and a fear of abandonment, both entangled because I feel like they're both related. Mm -hmm. But it's like not feeling loved and almost he was showcasing that because he was very emotionally unavailable at the time so it's like everything I needed wasn't met and then all of a sudden it'll be met so strongly oh you're the love of my life blah 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 blah. and then we fight and argue and all of that again so it's very inconsistent so it reminded me of also my relationship with love in general 
love was inconsistent for me. It wasn't like just readily available and unconditional. It felt like I, I had to earn it. I had to earn love. And that's how it felt with him. You know, like I was always under the microscope, had to be perfect. And again, I'm not villainizing anybody. We both had our shit. I was very unhealthy. And like I showed up very unhealthy. We were just both in a bad place, I guess, with each other. We brought up our own shit really strongly. Well, you were attracted to each other for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. Like we're literally like, I, I feel like we were two opposites of the same thing. So it's like such strong attraction. So yeah. So then awareness started coming up, starting to understand. I was journaling a ton because I was like almost problem solving what's happening. Like, oh shit. Like, Ooh, okay. That means this, that makes sense. And everything started like making sense. And I found myself, not only that, I found myself, while all of that shit is coming up and I'm trying to process it all and making sense of it all, I found myself needing to reparent myself. Like, mm. it's like the other side of it all. It's like, okay, all that shit is coming up. What are we going to do about it? And it was almost like, I don't know if I'm going to explain it correctly, but it was almost like me was here witnessing me. Mm -hmm. Like, I was witnessing myself and almost like it's time for me to step in and reparent myself through it all. It's almost like I was two people, like me and me, my higher self, maybe, and myself. And like taking care of myself through it all. And I found myself, so that's what led to the breakup, is me having that realization, like, this is not going to work. No matter how hard we try, how much I chase, this is just not going to work. And it's not good for me either. It's a repetition of a cycle. I could mm -hmm. see that after months of trying to analyze. And then, yeah, I remember I was like, as a result of that, and me, again, leaning into meditation, leaning into my spirituality, it almost gave me that peace to my heart, peace with my decision. Like, mm -hmm. you're good. You're on the right path. Yeah, this may hurt right now. And it did hurt a little, which I am surprised that it didn't hurt as much as I thought it would. Because only a year before that, I thought if that relationship would end, it's like a death. Yeah. But when I left in 2018, it hurt just a little, but not too much. And I also felt like liberated. Mm. I'm like, I'm me again. I get to be me. I don't have to follow what this person wants. I don't have to, you know, do whatever they ask of me. I could just do whatever the fuck I want. And that liberation was just so free. I don't know, just a breath of fresh air. And I felt like literally the next day I had my glow back. I woke mm. up, dressed. I was walking with my confidence that I felt prior to that relationship. And I started also in the process. It's like being so in the moment. And things that I never really paid attention to, I started to have so much gratitude for. Like, I remember, and I think that was the day that we broke up. I think I'm not positive, but I was driving to work and the clouds were so close to my car. I remember it felt like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the clouds are so beautiful. <laughs> and like, this is not something I would have ever said or noticed, like just moving through life or like looking at my cat. I remember, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's such a gorgeous kitty. And like just sitting with him, enjoying every moment. I'm like, this is not how I used to operate. It's just, it changed me. And I really owe all of that to me taking the time to meditate and have that what I, what now I feel like it was a spiritual awakening. It's just a death and a rebirth. Yeah. Do you remember specifically that moment when you were like, holy shit, I'm dating my dad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember it was one, like a, like a day where we didn't text all day. And mind you, I was very anxiously attached at the time. And no texting all day was like a big deal. Like, what the mm -hmm. fuck? So I remember I was so angry. And I'm like, like, I don't feel loved. I'm like, why do I have to earn that person's love? Why do I have to ask to be loved, to ask to be treated right? Like, 
what the fuck? Why doesn't he miss me? Why doesn't he want to talk to me? I was in that mentality. And I remembered, well, oh, shit, with my dad, that's basically how I felt. It's like my dad is not the lovey-dovey kind, like he's very distanced. So it was never like an I love you or let me come here and hug you. It was none of that. Very, very cold. And that's when I'm like, I've been feeling this for way more than just this relationship. This just almost like put it under the microscope. Yeah, I had a very similar experience of where it had been going on for years and years and years, just the toxic relationships and just the feeling like I was going to die when they would end. And I dated a guy for like less than a month. And when he ghosted me, like I literally like I became non-functioning. And it was like in the midst of that, like the first aha was there's no way that the way I'm feeling right now could actually be about this person. Like I've known them for less than a month. And then the second aha was this is a feeling I felt often as a little girl. And it was like the same feeling that I felt when I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like I was going to die if I didn't sleep in my mom's bed. Yeah. And, you know, I was somebody who, you know, my mom was an alcoholic. My parents fought. I knew that my my upbringing was like less than ideal. I became like the scapegoat and the identified patient pretty early. Mm -hmm. I became the focus like in and out of rehab starting at 14. So I knew that things were like not great, but I had no fucking clue just how wounded and how much I had no idea that what I had experienced was trauma. And I had no idea that what I was experiencing in romantic relationships was complex PTSD. And so I'm curious for you. OK, you said that you were living at home. Were your parents still together? Okay. Yep. OK. OK. So what was your because, you know, you're saying I've been feeling this way for a long time. Like, it sounds like there was some awareness related to your dad being emotionally unavailable to an extent. But I would say prior to this, like, what was your understanding of your childhood experiences? Had you ever been in therapy before? Oh, I love that. So I'll go back with you and tell you about the moment. So my dad, so growing up, my dad was always traveling for work. And I he would yeah. And he would only come home for a week every month. Every month oh, we'd wow. only speak. And when he would come back, it wasn't like he wasn't a per like a participant in our life, almost like he's just there. And he would just leave. Just you and your brother? Or you have me other siblings? Brother, yeah, no, me, my brother, and my mom. So she okay. was basically, you know, raising us, my dad traveling. Were you born here or did you move here? No, I was born in Egypt and I moved and here when I was 16. Yeah. Okay. So this is like when you're in Egypt. This is in Egypt. I, I mean, I don't remember exactly the year. I'm just saying with him being gone, like he only coming oh, home for like one. I was born. Yeah. Like, okay, got it. Was, yeah. Got it. So he was always just like, a, I guess not a participant, just he's there in that week. And then he leaves and we back. We're, we're always in our life. You know, we had a very busy mm -hmm. life. So there was a moment where I went on a field trip with my school. I was still in Egypt. And I think that was maybe two years or three years before we moved here. Okay. And I'm 31 now. So I think at the time I was maybe 13, 14, something like that. And I remember when we came back from the field trip, I was standing there in the bus, you know, with my knees on the chair and I was standing there and looking at everybody. And in that moment, it seemed to me that everybody had their dad calling them, checking if they arrived. Like the person next to me, the person behind me, but it almost felt like everybody on the bus had a phone next to their ear. And I remember in that moment, I'm like, yeah, my dad is not going to call. I don't even know if he knows that I'm on a trip. So I'm just like standing there and I could feel my eyes like tear up and I'm like, I don't feel like I have a dad. Mm. He's there, but I don't feel like I have a dad. 
So anyway, he never ended up calling. I'm pretty sure he probably didn't even know. And in that moment, it was like that initial realization of, I think I'm missing the feeling of having a dad. And the moment I started almost like witnessing everything, like I would like when I go to my cousin's house, I'd see how their dad is treating them, like how they're treating their dad. My friends, same thing. And I realized that it's just like, yeah, that's not the norm. Like, this is not normal. And I almost at the time, it's like, okay, this is not normal. But I never put two and two together where this affects me. It's more like I'm hurt by it, but like has nothing to do with how I am as a person. You know? Did you ever voice it? Oh, yeah. I, I voiced it to my mom more than I did my dad. Because what did I, she say? She, that's just your dad. That's just yeah. how he is. You know, he's just very cold. Because I also remember one time I was even way younger, but this memory is so vivid in my, in my mind. Very, very young, maybe like under the age of 10. He was traveling. He came back. He was sitting on the couch in our living room. I go jump, sit next to him. And I'm like, oh, I missed you. And he's like, Nora, get off me. It's hot. And I'm like, oh, uh, I kind of like, and I'm a very like highly sensitive person. I've always been. So that hurt me so much. I remember at the time. And then I kind of moved a little bit to the side. And then my mom looked at him and she's like, is this how you treat your daughter? What do you mean? Like she wants to spend time with you. So then he like taps me on the back. Look, I missed you too, but it was so hard. Like it's such hard tapping that it hurt my back almost. So I'm like, oh, okay. And and again, that was another moment where it's like, I don't know, this doesn't feel right, but it didn't click. I was really young. So anyway, fast forward to years after we moved here, I think I was talking to a friend of mine who's a therapist and she's like, I think you should go to therapy. You sound like a high functioning depressed and you sound like you have grief trauma, but go to a therapist and talk to them because she lived in another state. So I couldn't really Was this like pre the relationship? When is this? No, that was after the relationship. Okay, got it. Like, uh, yeah, maybe I was still in it, but after we started. Mm -hmm. I go to therapy and my first time in therapy, I had avoided therapy ever since I moved here because when I moved here, I was very, very depressed. Like you go from two different kinds, like sides of the world, just so many things were happening. Mm -hmm. And my mom had suggested I go to therapy, but I was really, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Like culturally, like in Egypt, were there many people going to therapists at that I point think, in time? I think at the time, no. There was a little stigma around therapy where unless like you have something going on like deeply, you would go to therapy. But I think at the time, my mom was introduced to an Egyptian psychologist who had a YouTube channel. She was listening to him a lot. So at that point, she introduced him to me as well. So she at that point realized, wait, therapy's for everybody. So she's like, are you sure you wouldn't get comfort speaking to someone? And I actually did go the first session and then the lady started saying something about medication and a cycle. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing none of that. And I just left. I never called them again, never went there again. So I just did not like that first encounter. But then years later, when my friend suggested I go to a therapist for grief trauma, I'm like, cool. And the reason grief trauma is because my grandma passed when I was 11 or 12. And she was like, basically a mom to me, a second mom, my best friend, like everything. So that had hit me so deeply at the time, but I never processed it. But she could tell. So anyway, I go on tangents. So I went to therapy initially for grief trauma. And I remember the therapist was sitting there, you know, trying to get all information she could about me. And somehow, you know, my family came up and my dad came up and I started talking to her. And I could literally see her pupils getting like bigger and bigger. Like she's in shock of what I'm saying. And in that moment, I started like tearing up. And I think it's because I felt seen maybe for the first time in my life, like mm. I was seen. 
And not only that's like, in my mind, a lot of times when I would complain about certain things happening, they're like, oh, you know, everybody's like that. All families are like that, blah, 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 blah. So I wasn't validated in my feelings and seeing her reaction to what I was going through. Mm. I'm like, man, this is as heavy as it feels. Like, this is just not a me thing. So yeah, I started tearing up and also I'm, I'm a crier. Like, I tear up all the time, happy or sad. But this tearing up was different. It was like being seen. So anyway, in that moment is when I realized, shit, like everything I've been through is directly affecting who I am right now. Two and two finally were coupled together in that moment. It's such a beautiful moment. You know, it's scary, but it's like so it's everything, you know. And so was that like a shock to you as you're starting to kind of unravel things and like peel back the layers of the onion? Like, because I'm sure I mean, obviously you have this relationship like with your dad. I mean, I'm sure it's not like everything else is just perfect, you know, other than I just have this emotionally unavailable father, like clearly there's a certain dynamic between him and your mother. Like you're getting a template for love through them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's other dysfunctional things going on. Like, was that like to just kind of see it from like a bigger, like to to understand like, oh, I, I like grew up in like in somewhat of a dysfunctional family. Was any of that hard for you to like take in, grasp? Was that mm -hmm. like shocking? It's multi-layered. So mm -hmm. I felt right as she was, like her reaction to me made me feel seen. But also, as soon as I felt seen, I felt very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I felt scared as fuck. And the reason that I was is because growing up, and even now us talking about it, I could feel some resistance creeping up. And I'll explain as to why. Because growing up, whatever happened at home, nobody knew about. Mm -hmm. So my parents could have an argument, you know, and then we go, we're invited to someone's house and they're laughing and joking, like as if everything's fine. And then we come back home, they're still not happy with each mm -hmm. other. So it's almost that like programming of what Don't happens, talk. Yeah, don't yeah, talk. What happens at home stays at home. Mm -hmm. So in that moment when, when that lady who's a stranger to me, I just met you and now you know this about me and about my family. It's almost like, shit, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe they like let her in in our privacy of our home which she's a stranger still so that's when I felt very uncomfortable and I've been trying to work through that because I mean a part of it is not my story to tell right and I'm trying to focus on just my story to tell and this is where sometimes even now with us talking I could feel some resistance creeping up but. yeah and l let me just say this what I always say you know because it's Coming from a loving family and a dysfunctional family are not mutually exclusive, right? I think that's really important. And I think it's also really important to point out that, like, this shit doesn't pop out of nowhere. Like, your parents are just a product of their own upbringings, just like you are, you know? Yeah. And so that's what I, like, really try to emphasize. And also what I emphasize to my parents, like, when I let them know, like, hey, <laughs> I'm starting this podcast and... So just know, like, there's definitely, like, no blame or anything here. Like, I think it's just we're talking about causes and conditions that make us the way that we are. And there's absolutely, like, no demonizing of anyone's parents here. So I totally recognize how you feel, though. Go ahead. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. It's like the the mm. therapist, you know, that moment of feeling uncomfortable with being seen. And then I went home and I had guilt. Oh, shit. I really told some secrets here, you know, like things that belong to them that I just like spilled out to that person. 
And I remember at the time, I still hadn't started my journey. I hadn't started meditating or doing any of the above. So I was very uncomfortable with my feelings. And I have always resorted to journaling to process. I just started writing things out. And I'm like, okay, like I'm trying to protect them and their image at the time with that therapist that doesn't even know them. And at the same time, I am affected by this. And you know, you're betraying yourself, right? It's like, we don't want to betray them. But yeah, what actually is your story to tell from the perspective of like, you're talking about like how this impacted me. You know what I mean? You're not just like talking about two random people and gossiping. It's like, you're talking about how this impacted you. And we are so afraid to betray our family. But as a result of doing that, we betray ourselves. Oh my gosh. Yes. 100,000%. And that is basically the conclusion that I got to and I was journaling is like, okay, that's my experience and I could share my experience with her because I don't want to stay here. I don't want to feel mm-hmm. these feelings. They were heavy to feel. And going back to like the part of like the high functioning depressed, I, I now like looking back, I so agree with that friend therapist that told me that because I remember I was like, okay, how, like, doing everything through life, everything's good. But when I go home, the anxiety would just start creeping up. I'd feel this deep sadness in my chest area that felt like I'm almost drowning in. And when I woke up, I wasn't like, yay, like a new day. It was more like, oh shit, like I'm feeling the anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling the, dep- the, the sadness. I didn't know it was depression at the time, but the sadness creeping in. And it felt like I had to put on a mask, you know, to like meet the world and like, oh, everything is great. And nobody knew anything. And that was another part of too, what I was used to. What stays at home stays at home. So nobody knew what I was going through because that stayed at home. So I did a lot of like journaling, processing, and that all happened like this section here. And I know it may get confusing, but this section yeah. of it happened like shortly or when it happened shortly after that, I started the meditating and all that. And then that's when the inner work started happening. So it was almost like it highlighted it. And then the inner work happened and then everything started to make sense. And, you know. When did you learn about attachment theory? Do you remember learning about like, I'm an anxious attacher? I learned about that maybe two years ago. Like it wasn't something that I knew at the time when I was in the relationship. The only thing that I knew was the whole runner chaser thing, which is another word for avoidant anxious, right? So I learned about that two years ago. And when I did and just like reading about it, I again felt very seen. I'm like, oh, He was bringing out that side of me that was very anxiously attached. And, oh, this makes sense. Like the overanalyzing, the reading everybody language, the reading everything to try to figure out, is he leaving? Is he staying? Does he love me? Does he not? So that made me feel very seen at the time. I'm wondering, too, it's interesting with your mom. Mm -hmm. So she's like encouraging therapy. And then she's mentioning to you like you're just losing yourself in this relationship like you don't have the spark there and kind of like the I mean for me it was the same thing like I I didn't talk about what was going on in my home I was never told specifically though like don't say anything it's like I just knew that not to but like do you think that there was any sort of I'm just curious how that was with her Because it's like she's I think she probably wants to help you. But I I don't know if she's um, is she like simultaneously kind of like in denial of like that this is actually like stemming from your childhood experiences. Yeah, 100 percent. I don't think she understood at the time because, again, she was still just introduced to that. Mm -hmm. I don't think she understood that, hey, this is coming 
from childhood experiences or like our parenting is almost like it's this person. He's making her feel that way. So it definitely was now looking back. I mean, my mom definitely was in denial of her own situation, mm-hmm. just her own relationship and not even like looking at it from that lens. But I know that at the time she really wanted me to be happy, you know, in that relationship. She's like, this is not how love is supposed to be. This is not what a relationship is supposed to be. So why are you in that right now? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? And I remember it's like she said something along the lines of why are you doing this to yourself? And in that moment, I'm like, I'm not doing this to myself. It's just the relationship that I'm in. Like, I didn't even take accountability for that at the time because I didn't have the awareness to. It was we like, also are like are kind of powerless in, in a sense, too. Yeah. You know, it's really fucking hard to pull yourself out of it, you know, when you feel so trapped. Huh? And so then what about as you're starting to like learn this stuff about yourself? Like, what did conversations look like with her or with your dad? Have they been able to come to terms with that? Have you been able to have any sort of, you know, healthy dialogue in that respect? Like as I was like coming to like my Terms. awareness and, and all Yeah, that. about, about yeah, just your childhood wounding showing up. Yeah, so with my mom, she's very receptive. And even till this day, we still have conversations about certain things that she says till this day or does that are just, I don't feel like they're the right way to talk to me, at least. <laughs> so I would tell my mom constantly, hey, when you did this, that made me feel that way. Mm-hmm. And initially, she would almost be like, it wasn't like I understand or none of that. Initially, it was more like she's hurt that I'm hurt. <laughs> that mm-hmm. she's hurt. And it was almost like, okay, she's hurt that she's hurt me. So then she's having an emotional reaction. So then I go to mothering her mm-hmm. and then my needs are still not met. So that was initially that was happening for like a couple of years. And then now when we do have these conversations, it's different. Like she responds with like, yeah, you know what? I fucked up. We didn't know any better. I was raised how my mom raised me and I raised Mm. you how I was raised and I had no knowledge of anything. You're teaching me now. Mm. And it was so eye-opening to to see that now. And I guess it's also the age too. Like now mental health is so like widely talked about. Mm -hmm. Maybe back then it was a stigma. So us having these conversations now is in a way teaching her. She's reading about it. So she's more receptive. And then she takes accountability, which... I now appreciate because when she wasn't a few years ago, I was getting very fucking frustrated. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you already hurt me. You're hurting me again. <laughs> like, like, do something. I, I needed her to take accountability at the time. Well, you're really fucking lucky that she like, because you realize the vast majority of us don't really get that experience <laughs> of where our parents are willing to take accountability for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's my mom. My dad, on the other hand, yeah. He's the exactly what you were saying. We're in, he's not taking accountability. It's almost like, what did I do to you? I was the best dad. Like I provided you with this, this, and that. Not seeing where there was a lot that wasn't provided, and what he provided was not what was needed for me to feel the love of a dad. So I do have both right now. Mm-hmm. Someone is starting to take accountability. Another person is so not. How have you navigated your relationship with him? Man, it's been like almost. Like it's a roller coaster mm-hmm. still. A sense of initially, I had a lot of anger, so mm-hmm. much anger towards him, so much anger towards the things that I feel like I missed out on because it wasn't given to me, like uh, a loving dad or 
just having a conversation with a dad or anything. Like I literally grew up feeling like I did not have a dad. So there was a lot of anger around that. And not only that, it's just I felt like certain things he did or said hurt me and hurt our family. And like just things I witnessed at home were very, very hurtful to me to witness as a child. So there was a lot of anger and I wanted nothing to do with him. But then culturally, I am for me. Mm-hmm. In our culture, your parents are so important. Mm-hmm. You have to be really, you know, respectful and really good to your parents and do right by them no matter what. So then there was that battle of shit, like I need to be a good daughter, but also I can't. He's triggering mm-hmm. me all the time. So I took my distance by like not necessarily saying I'm going to take my distance because I don't think he would understand that. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I have this going on. Almost I tried to do that at the time. And I took my distance with that. I was going to therapy again at the time and just talking about it, trying to hash it out. And then now our relationship is I pretty much just implement my boundaries. Like I'm like, if he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. Like I'm not going to change him as a person. He's well in his ways right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, what capacity do I have for this relationship? And I only give him what I have the capacity for. So that means we go out to dinner once a month. Then that's all we're doing. I'm not going to be talking to you every day. We're not going to get into, you know, conversations about things because we're so different. The way he thinks and the way I think are very different. So we're never going to be in alignment. Mm. So it's what I have the capacity for. And that's what I'm honoring in this season of my life. And that's how it is now. What about with your brother? Have you had any conversations with him about this stuff? Yeah, my brother, I feel like we both responded to it very differently. We both Which is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both went through the same thing. But my brother, I feel like from our conversations, he's not angry. He he doesn't have any of the anger. It's more like, oh, well, what are we going to do? You know, that's that's our parents. We just got to, you know, be good to them and all that. For me, it came out as anger initially. Like I was telling you, like all that anger. And I'm like, I want nothing to do with blah, 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 blah. Uh, the way that he's responding to it is very different. But I also feel like it's it plays a the, what plays a big role in that is that my brother was distanced from everything that I experienced because as soon as he turned 18, he moved out. Mm. And I wanted to move out, but I didn't because I was the mediator in the home. I'm like, if mm-hmm. I move out, they're just, it's not going to work. And I need to be here to keep the peace. Mm. So I'm in the, the like, I, I'm the one taking all the shots, basically. Like, I'm trying to, I'm taking it from my dad. Trying to, you know, make it immediate with my mom and then trying to defend my mom. And I feel like I took on a role that mm. wasn't for me. Like almost my parents' problems, they would come to my room, both of them. Yeah. And they like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. And I'm supposed to figure it out. So I feel like what I went through was different than what my brother went through. And that's a big reason why our experiences are very different. Yeah, you're and, parentified. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. At what age did that start? Oh my gosh, I remember mm. it was well before we moved here. I want to say I was maybe 13, 14. Like my, my parents argued all the time. They're just not compatible. So every time they argue, I would find myself being like, okay, like stop. <laughs> like this is not how it's supposed to be. And I was almost, again, taking on that role of the mediator. And the reason that I did is because I could not handle it. I hated yelling. I hated the screaming. I wanted to just either go hide somewhere and I don't hear anything or just get out of my body and not deal with it all. And it seemed like I couldn't do either. So I'm like, I am going to have to make them stop so I can be at peace. So the feeling of safety and stability and like home is your safe space. I never felt that. I did not want to go home. I did not want to be at home. I started very early on and it felt like that role became bigger and bigger the older I got. 
I took on more of that role. And on, if I'm being completely honest, I did not stop that role until 2022 when I decided I'm done with everything. That's it. And that's when I, I was literally done. Like, don't talk to me about this. I don't need to know. And implementing boundaries very hard. So I want to talk about like your healing journey. So obviously it's like starting with like meditation, journaling. You talk about like like reparenting. Like what have been, I, you know, I see you post a lot about, you know, feeling safe in the body. And I guess kind of what was your process as far as like understanding like the the nervous system aspect of it and regulating the body and what has that looked like for you? Yeah, yeah. So in 2017, <laughs> again, going back to the years, when I first was introduced to meditating, remember when I said, like, I didn't know what that felt like, but it felt like absolute bliss. Mm -hmm. in, in hindsight now, it's because it was regulating me. I didn't know. I was, didn't know that was regulating my nervous system. So I was someone who's like always stressed, always on the go, like always like fidgeting. Like I needed to be somewhere doing something. So in the meditation, the times that I was meditating, I was giving myself that time where I could just be here and just be in my... I love to daydream a lot as a kid as a way of escaping. So meditation mm -hmm. was a form of daydreaming to me. Mm -hmm. So I love because I could just be in this world. And I would meditate twice a day. Not because I had to, because I wanted to. I looked forward to meditating. And what I realized now looking back at the time that was regulating my nervous system. And I also started meditating and just like going down the rabbit hole of like YouTube and look at things. And was it guided that. meditation? Like what kind of meditation were you doing? Was guided meditation. Yeah. And a particular practitioner or just you were just finding random shit or yeah. what I was, was just it? go on YouTube and like guided meditation. I just see what like resonates with me in that moment, what I was feeling. And that's what I would just play. And I would listen to it. And if I wasn't feeling it, I'd just go on to another video. But that helped me so much. Because there was also a time to it. I could daydream all day. If I, if, I, if I wanted to, I could sit here all day and daydream. But it gave me that permission to give myself, in those 20 minutes, we're going to do nothing but sit here and meditate. And that, to me, also another thing that relates to that is growing up, part of feeling the need to earn love is I had to do and produce. Like I always uh -huh. had to be productive. So to me, if I'm sitting there and daydreaming, I'm not productive in my mind at the time. So meditation was like, well, this is good. This is productive. So let me just sit here and do it. So anyway, so I started meditating at the time, which was regulating my nervous system. And then the shit would start to come up afterwards. And then I would process by journaling. And again, when I was doing this, I had no clue of anything. I was literally just following my intuition and what felt good. I had no clue journaling even helps. It's just like the way I've always processed information. So like, let me do it. Meditating felt good. I'm just going to do it. I found myself wanting to be in nature a lot. I would just literally go sit in our backyard, sit on the grass, walk barefoot. Again, had no idea this was a thing. I just felt like I needed to do that. So now looking back on that stage of my life, I was literally grounding myself with meditation and just being out in nature, regulating my nervous system, processing the shit that was coming up and like making sense. And at the time too, I was trying to make sense out of it. So there was a lot of analyzing at the time. So analyzing, writing shit down, listening to specific type of music and frequency to get myself in a specific place. Now in hindsight, I'm looking at all that. I'm like, wow, like I was relying so heavily on mindfulness and reflection and journaling, meditation, breath work to at the time cultivate that safety within my body but I didn't know it. Now, mm. fast forward to 
two years ago, that was another rebirth for me. Two years ago, and I quit my job and did all that. Two years ago is when I'm like reading a lot. I was reading a lot, not necessarily books, but just like Googling stuff and trying to understand it. And came the nervous system, a nervous system regulation. And at the time, it was like gibberish to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so confusing. I don't understand any of this. And I was like trying to bite-size it all. And then it clicked. Oh shit. I was like basically in fight or flight mode my entire life, surviving. No wonder I love to meditate and be outside because these were the only moments of peace that I could have in my life. And I wanted to hold on to that tightly because after that, I, I go back to the shit show. Like you said, that was my life. And now that I know this information, I intentionally regulate my nervous system. I intentionally witness my body. Like now I know it. So I'm applying it because I know this is what I need versus before it was just more intuitive. Mm -hmm. And also, I want to say something too about that. At the time, I would always like I was recommending meditation to everybody. You know, when you're just starting your journey and you want to help everybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, everybody should meditate. And I, yeah, at the time I was recommending meditation for everybody, but I mm. felt I didn't have any proof that this works because I'm like, it just helped me. So it will help you too. But now <laughs> and like the, uh, the science behind it, I'm like, oh, this is not woo woo shit. This is not just like spiritual, blah, 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 blah. This is scientific. This helps everybody if, you know, that's what they're feeling like it resonates with them. So that was another validation too, that this makes sense. This is not just me making it up. What were some other like limiting beliefs that you were that you like unearthed that you were surprised like were in there? Like because I know for me, in many respects, like I thought that I had like high self-esteem, like high self-worth, like consciously I'm like, I'm smart, I'm pretty, I'm funny. But I had no idea that like deep down inside that I thought very little of myself. So I'm curious for you, what were some like awarenesses that you had as far as the limiting beliefs that you held about yourself that you've had to work through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so multiple come to mind. The first one, the earn love and I have to do and produce to be loved. Um, the second one was this like savior mode. Mm. Like I witnessed my mom become like the savior, the caretakers, like totally disregarding herself, doing whatever anybody needed, whether it's our family, her brothers, sisters, whatever it may be. So she was constantly self-sacrificing herself, constantly betraying herself. And that was showcased to me as love mm. that want to show them you love them. So like you don't matter what they need or want is what matters. So then I unknowingly became my mom in that sense. Like I was literally there for everybody. I didn't know what I wanted. Like at some point. And then point, you're being I'm, a savior between them, like being their referee in their relationship, right? 100%. Like wherever I felt like my dad lacked, I would fill those shoes. Mm. So at some point in 2021, <laughs> going back to the years, I felt like I was basically the dad in this, in this dynamic. Like I was my dad. I was filling in everywhere he wasn't filling in. Mm. And it was taking a toll on me. So. Yeah, back to that question. So savior, caretaker, self-sacrificial, people-pleasing was autopilot. Like there was no point of like, oh, let me check in with myself. That never even occurred to me. Oh, you want that? Sure, let's make it happen. Why not? So I was so attuned to everybody else's needs to the point where I had no idea what I wanted or needed. Up to the day, I mean, now I'm like, I've come miles and miles and miles when it comes to that. But there are moments when I'm like, someone would ask me, what do you want to do right now? 
and I'm literally blank. I'm like, no clue. And I'm like, this feels a little uncomfortable that I'm blank, but I'm going to witness it. Mm. Versus maybe before, which is another thing too, it's like this perfectionist you need to earn love would have been like getting mad at myself that I am blank or I don't know what I want. Now, thankfully, it's like more like witnessing it. Okay, this is where I am. I don't know. We'll just go with the flow or whatever it may be. So a lot of that self-sacrificial, what else? Oh, also another thing I resonated so much with what you just said, where I felt like I'm smart. I have the self-esteem, truly what I felt at the time, but it was all based on outside validation. Mm. If one, like people would tell me you're smart, you're pretty, blah, 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 blah at some point. And that's where I got all my foundation from. So when I got in the relationship with the ex that we were just talking about not too long ago, he was telling me I'm not that smart, mm. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, you think you're that pretty or you think this, this and that. So he wrecked whatever was there by, again, outside people. So then I was brought to the nothing that already, I was already at nothing. Only the outside validation built me up and he took that away. So then I'm at nothing again. So after that relationship, it's almost like building self-esteem, building that confidence intrinsically, not necessarily relying solely on the outside, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Do you know what happened to him? No, I have no idea. I mean, I have like I'm very at peace with him right now. Like, you know, we're we're good. I have no anything in my heart towards him. I have no idea what he's doing, what he's up to. I mean, whatever it is, I hope he's doing well. Are you dating? I am. I'm in a relationship. Yes. And how how has that experience been? It's been really, really good for me. So I got into this relationship at a time where, yeah, I had done a lot of my inner work, but I was still fully there. Like, and I don't think you ever get there, right? Well, no. And and I think so, too. What I always say is like, there's a lot of work that we can do on our own, but there's other work that can only be done in relationship. 100%. And this is literally like what I want to dive into, too. It's like, I thought I had done the work on myself. (laughs) I I knew I wasn't fully like, oh my gosh, I'm healed because I knew you couldn't be. but I thought I was in a really good and then I oh. got into <laughs> I just oh said God. that I was just reflecting like I was re-listening to my episode from the end of last year from 2022 that. and I was like <laughs> thinking I was like holy shit I thought I was way more healed than I thought yeah it was, it was so funny <laughs> So literally, I get into this relationship and my partner is the best, like such a good, good person. And I I saw my triggers. Oh my gosh, I was being triggered. Some old shit that was in my past relation came up on my end. Like where I'm like, oh, does he need to give an example? I'd love to hear an example. Yeah, like for instance, like my partner is very chill. Like he's just a chill guy. I at the time was like a firecracker very much in that. So I'm like wait, we haven't really fought in a while. Does he not care about me? <laughs> like, like it was literally like looking for that passion, creating fights out of nowhere. Or if like, let's say I didn't hear from my partner in a few hours, texting wise, where is he? Like, why isn't he texting me? Like all that was old shit, right? Coming up, it was that still the anxious attachment was still very much there in the beginning of this mm-hmm. relationship. So that's where the triggers were coming up. And also expecting my partner to behave how my ex did. So mm. like, oh, if I'd say that, he's probably going to do this, this and that, which now looking back, it wasn't shared to my partner. He's nothing like my ex, but I was expecting that. So anyway, being in that relationship has been extremely healing for me for multiple reasons. One, my triggers used to come up and I would kind of tr- like deal with them on my own. And also I had my partner's support where it's like, no, I'd never do that to you. No, I'd never mm. talk to you like that. 
you're good, you know, like that safety that I personally don't feel like I've ever experienced in a relationship prior to this one. And then just his demeanor and his presence of like this non-judgment. Like I would tell him like my shit and he, he wouldn't be like, oh, she's like broken. No, it was more like, okay, like what do you need right now? And then I would tell him what I need. It's like, okay, I'd be like you're good. We're good. I got you. Like, and that to me took away a lot of my anxiety in relationships. It wasn't just the inner work that I did on myself. Him as well, creating that safety, that structure for me to just be. And to not only that, like, when a partner creates that safety, and by no means is anybody perfect, right? We're both not perfect, but he created that safety for me. For when my shit came up, I was safe to process it. And I was okay. And I wasn't risking losing him because I had shit to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, so funny thing is, prior to this current relationship, my view on men was very warped. It's, it's more like most men are cheaters and liars and horrible individuals. And there are some good men because I think my brother is such a good partner to his partner when, or whenever he has a partner, he's such a good partner. So he was my only proof like there are good men out there is my brother. So then I'm like, I want to find someone like my brother. I'd always say that. And then when I got with my partner and he's very much a very good guy, I'm like now, you know, a few years into the relationship, I'm like, amazing men are out there. There are a lot of great men out there. And it's only a few that aren't that good. So it's it's literally like complete opposites. I think there's more than a few, but yes, there are good no, men right, out right. there. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell everyone what you do, where they can find you, anything you want to plug. Yeah. So thank you for that. And you can find me on Instagram, Inner Butterfly. And what I do, I'm a self-empowerment coach for women. I focus on bettering their relationship. We're supporting them. They do the bettering. Supporting them and bettering the relationship they have with themselves so that they can fully express themselves as they are no like playing small small or none of that just fully unapologetically showing up and in return they live a more fulfilled life and just have better relationships so yeah that's it on a nutshell this has been awesome we'll definitely have you back on thanks for being so honest and i know people are going to get a shit a ton out of this so yeah, thank you thank you for having me it was definitely so wonderful <laughs> Let it all go.